Centuries ago, a toy maker set out to build the perfect puzzle box. A gift that would bring enchantment to all who possessed it. He never dreamed that this simple toy was the key to the gates of hell. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? Now, centuries later, a scientist has unlocked its secret. And the battle for the future of mankind is about to be fought across the boundaries of time. Welcome back to Geek Channel 8. I'm Eric. I'm Rosie. Today we're talking about Hellraiser Bloodline, which I don't even know what number that is. Hellraiser 4, 5, 6, I don't know. But it is the Hellraiser in space. Uh, specifically, <laughs> we're talking about the Dark World Creations Reconstruction work print from YouTube of what Hellraiser Bloodline was supposed to be. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first, what's been going on? You had a win last night? We did. Yep, we had a win last night. So, uh, so far, um, BBRG has only had black and blue grass roller girls out of northern Kentucky has only had one loss. And uh, that was the Louisville. And it was only by maybe three points. We lost that game in the last three jams. Yeah, we're having a great season, just really leveled up this year, and I'm really excited about where things are going. And um, this morning, several of my teammates are uh, in Kentucky for the Team Kentucky tryouts for when we have Battle of the All-Stars, which, you know, states battle each other. So if that says anything about my team at all, we have several members of our team that were on Team Kentucky last year that are trying out again for Team Kentucky this year, maybe even a couple more skaters. Not me. <laughs> That's a bigger commitment than I can make right now. But I'm really proud of my teammates that are going out there and, and doing that and uh, adding that to their derby resume. It's pretty impressive. Somehow all these podcasts end up talking about roller derby. I'm like, the the worldwide audience is like not that big. And so I always wonder if we're like alienating people because i was just on a show called what you into for the second time with mm -hmm. anthony tank mansfield and right. somehow our talk about horror films devolved into discussing roller derby at some point um yeah <laughs> actually i think that was uh that was when he came on our show hey uh by the way I finally started watching Deadwood. I oh, finally cool. started 
watching it because you guys talked about it so much. I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch it. And I'm in the middle of like season three right now. And I love it. I'm hooked. Yeah. Maybe when you're done, we'll do Deadwood the movie. Like, okay. Um, yes. Let's jump into this. Hellraiser Bloodline it came out in 1996. So let me give a little background to the year. What was going on in 1995 and 1996 leading up to this film? Just to give a feel for what the zeitgeist of the times was. February 13th, 1995, the UN Tribunal charges 21 Bosnian Serb commanders with genocide. March 22nd, 1995, Valere. Polyakov returns to Earth after 438 days, the longest time anyone had spent in space. April 19th, 1995, Timothy McVeigh killed 168 people in Oklahoma City in the bombing of a federal building there. May 14th, 1995, six-year-old Gedhan Choeki Niima, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, named the 11th reincarnation of the Panchen Lama in Tibet. But three days later, the boy is taken by Chinese authorities and is never seen again. June 29, 1995, space shuttle Atlantis docks with the Russian Mir space station for the first time. Also in July 95, thousands of Bosniak men and boys are killed and women raped by the Bosnian Serb Armenian the Srebrenica Massacre. September 9th, 1995, the Sony PlayStation is released. October 3rd, 1995, O.J. Simpson's found not guilty of killing Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. November 24th, 1995, the last signal is received from the NASA probe Pioneer 11. It will next pass star Lambda Aquilae in about four million years. December 7th, 1995, NASA probe Galileo enters Jupiter's atmosphere. January 21st, 1996, France conducts its last nuclear weapons test. February 9th, 1996, Disney acquires ABC for $19 billion. And then March 8th of 1996, Hellraiser Bloodline is released. The executive producer, Clive Barker, was inspired by the ending of Hellraiser 3, where there was a building in New York City whose architecture resembled the Lament configuration. So Barker suggested a three-part film set in different time periods. Peter Atkins, the writer of Hellraiser 2 and co-writer of Hellraiser 3, added the Le Marchand storyline. That's the storyline that takes place in 18th century France. So Atkins and Barker pitched the idea to Miramax, who greenlit it based on the pitch alone without seeing an outline. Probably not the greatest way to start off here. <laughs> True. Yep. So the screenplay originally had a linear timeline, more special effects, and violent confrontations between Pinhead and Angelique. But Miramax was unwilling to provide the required budget, so the film was scaled back. This is red flag number two. Stuart Gordon, a director who is known to be able to pull off great special effects horror films on limited budgets, was asked to direct, but he dropped out over artistic disagreements. Red flag number three. 
Special effects technician Kevin Yeager was hired based on his reputation for cost-saving directing work on Tales from the Crypt. Yeager was initially hesitant, but he was won over by the script and Clive Barker's vision of the film. Okay, another red flag. The script was scaled back even more to save money by reducing the number of characters and simplifying their stories. The new character, Angelique's appearance was inspired by Morticia Adams and Sister Act, converting the imagery of a nun's habit into flayed skin. And Doug Bradley's pinhead makeup was reverted back to the look of the first two films after it had been changed in Hellraiser 3. So that's one good point in its favor. Then all goes to hell, pardon the pun. <laughs> the filming began in Los Angeles in 1994. Problems began early and continued throughout the production. The cinematographer was replaced. The assistant director had to leave due to a family emergency. A bunch of people got sick during the course of the filming. And Bradley said the entire art department and camera crew were all dismissed in the first week. Wow. So uh, that's basically everybody behind the scenes. I mean, your art department, <laughs> your camera crew, that's most everybody. No wonder the fans remade it. They were like, no, this isn't good enough. We're going to redo this. <laughs> Amazingly, however, Hellraiser 4 was completed on time and on budget. There was a 110-minute cut of the film shown to the studio executives in early 1995. And then the studio executives lost their shit. Despite having supposedly approved the script, they probably didn't read it. They didn't like the fact that Pinhead didn't appear until halfway into the film. So <laughs> they demanded rewrites. Pinhead was inserted into the opening of the film, which was changed so that the 22nd century Paul Merchant narrates his ancestor's story. Another red flag there. And then a happy ending was added. <laughs> Another red flag, especially for a horror film. Okay. Jaeger, coming off of the difficult shoot, declined to direct the new scenes, and he left the production, citing a lack of time and energy. He supposedly wasn't opposed to Miramax's changes, but he said he didn't want to see the film slowly morph into a different product after having spent so much effort on it. All right. <laughs> That's so, fair. Red flag number, I don't know what, they're replacing the director. So <laughs> Joe Chappelle, whose only major studio film credit was, get ready for another red flag, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Oh, God. That was okay. his only major studio film credit. He was brought in to complete the film. So Atkins wrote three new scenes. And when he became unavailable, so Atkins become the writer one of the main guys behind this becomes unavailable. So Barker recommended Rand Ravitch, who had previously worked on Candyman Farewell to the Flesh. Okay, so uh, we got red flags left and right. New footage was shot on April and May of 1995. It's just every sentence here is going to be a red flag. Angelique's origin and relationships with Pinhead and the LaMarchon line were changed. Many scenes were edited out especially from the LaMarchand storyline. Angelique and Pinhead originally had a more violent and adversarial relationship. Angelique represented the older, 
version of hell where you were tempting humans in long drawn out kind of temptation and pinhead represented the new results based order of hell the theatrical cut made this whole relationship between the two of them more ambiguous and replaced some of their hostility with sexual tension weird why do they gotta throw sexual tension into freaking everything especially horror movies like why i don't know you know so the final cut was 85 minutes long. So remember, it had been 110. Now it's down to 85 minutes long. When Jaeger saw the finished film, he felt it strayed too far from his original vision and had his name removed from the credits using the pseudonym Alan Smithy. So for those who don't know, Alan Smithy, you'll find a lot of bad movies under the name Alan Smithy because yeah. the Directors Guild of America subscribes to the auteur theory of directing, where basically... The director is considered the principal author of a film and gets all the credit when it's good and has to take all the blame when it's bad. But they make one exception, and that is if the film that's released is a significant departure from the director's original vision, like the studio comes in and takes it away from him and changes things, which is what happened here. They allow the director to take his name off of it and put Alan Smithy on instead. So always bad news when the director doesn't want to be known as having directed a film. Another big red flag, they didn't screen it for critics. Whenever they do not screen a movie for critics, that's intentional because they think it's going to get bad reviews. <laughs> it was released on March 8th, 1996 in the U S and Canada, and it grossed $4.5 million in its opening weekend. And it came in fifth place at the box office. It was released direct to video in the UK. Mm -hmm. At the end of its U S run, it grossed $9.3 million so it was pretty much a commercial flop. Bloodline was the final Hellraiser film to receive a theatrical release because of that. And it was the last one to involve Clive Barker until the reboot. Miramax wanted a sequel to this, but Atkins and Barker said no way. So after this, all the rest of the Hellraiser movies are direct to video, starting with Hellraiser Inferno and made without Barker or Atkins input. So once the critics finally saw it, it got pretty negative reviews. Here they go. Los Angeles <laughs> Times said that if Barker had rewritten and directed the film, it might've worked. However, the writing is convoluted and the film's atmosphere is more repellent than intriguing. The New York Times called it, quote, incoherent and except for Mr. Bradley's pinhead, wretchedly acted unquote tv guide gave it one star and called it the most ambitious but worst film of the series variety called it a pointless mess without a likable protagonist the washington post said it needed quote a far bigger budget unquote and on rotten tomatoes it has a 24 percent approval the average rating is 4.1 out of 10 so there we go. That is now for the theatrical release. So we're going to talk a little bit about the fan re-edit and whether or not it's better or not. Just a minute, folks. Yes, that's all it takes to visit our refreshment counter in the lobby. 
There you'll find popcorn and an assortment of popular candy bars to please every taste. Try one of these delicious candy bars. Big Time, Butternut, Milkshake, Payday. Topped with Hollywood's super rich coating of the kind you like best. They taste wonderful, they're delicious, they're nutritious. Get one at our confection counter in the lobby now. When I was watching this, I was thinking, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. When I was watching this, I was thinking like pot roast would be a great segment for let's go to the lobby just from the big plate or the, the, the big spread, you know, that was on the table. And one of the first scenes of the movie, I was like, it's fall. I'm watching this movie kind of makes me think of pot roast so i'll tell you how i fix pot roast i fix it in the crock pot i just get a beef roast i coat it in olive oil i season it i brown it i put it in the crock pot and i add a can of cream of mushroom soup a can of water i cut up potatoes carrots celery put it all in there i also had a can of beef broth and then i season the crap out of it you know, and I season with love. I don't measure my seasonings when I make stuff like that. Um, so, you know, a lot of salt, pepper, garlic. There's like the steak burger seasoning that I, I like to use as well. Just throw it on in there, put it in the crock pot on low, not on high, on low, and let it cook all day. Because if you cook it on high, the meat will be too tough. If you let it cook on low, chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. So awesome. there you go. Awesome. There it is. <laughs> awesome okay pot roast all right so let's get into the film this reconstruction work print was uh made by uh, a guy named brian roman who created and voiced some crude animations using a pc game called the movies which i'm not familiar with to uh sort of fill in the gaps of deleted scenes he also used footage from hellbound and Hellraiser Hell on Earth, which is Hellraiser 2 and 3, and some footage from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade to sort of put together this fan edit. And he followed the scene order of the original screenplay. So this is kind of, you know, an amateur way of trying to give us a vision of what the original Jaeger cut of this might have looked like. Mm -hmm. So it opens in 18th century France and a peasant woman is sacrificed and a demon is summoned into her body. That becomes the new character Angelique. Then we get credits. It stars a whole bunch of people you've never heard of. So we'll skip that. It's directed by Alan Smithy. Notoriously bad director. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we get the building of the puzzle box, the original building of the pu puzzle box by a toy maker who sells it to this magician. After he sells it to him, he spies on him through a window and sees Angelique slaughter someone using the box and he realizes what he's done. So he talks to a philosopher who tells him to build a reverse box that will then trap them again. Something like that. So Angelique bribes him over to their side. And despite the philosopher 
warning him away. So we get a scene recreated with 3D reconstruction here of the philosopher encountering traveling comedians who somehow imprison him. I have no idea what the hell that was for or about. I guess they were like Angelique's minions. I have no idea. Yeah. If you if any of this makes more sense to you, let me know. Um, it doesn't because honestly, this is my first experience with Hellraiser. I'm not, I'm I'm just gonna be like straight up with you because, like I said, horror was never really my genre. I saw a few Nightmare on Elm Streets. I saw a few Friday the Thirteenth. I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like I've seen a lot of the basics, but I never really got into Hellraiser because, you know. So, listener, when she says "cause you know." We have to get it. <laughs> uh, so Rosie has a uh, Christian background here. So that mm-hmm. might have like played into that. Oh, majorly. I mean, yeah, horror movies were completely off the table when I was growing up. I think the first horror movie I probably ever saw was either Texas Chainsaw Massacre or maybe the first Nightmare on Elm Street with my best friend in sixth grade. Those are a hell of a way to jump in. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I, know. I feel sorry for you because the first couple of Hellraiser films are actually really good. It's at, with the third one that stuff starts going downhill. For some reason, the philosopher's imprisoned. He goes to retrieve the box. The toy maker does. And his is killed and his bloodline is cursed for all time. So then closer to the present like i think this is supposed to be toward the end of hellraiser 3 joey is chased by cenobites but uses the box to thwart them and imprison them and then he buries it in concrete at a construction site and then in the present which is now 1996 there's this guy john merchant who's having bad dreams he is the descendant of the toy maker. Meanwhile, over in France, Angelique sees this building that John Merchant has designed and wants to go to one of his art shows in America. She's the sex slave of the guy who summoned her with the condition that he never stand in the way of hell. And when he refuses to let her go to New York City, that's standing in the way of hell. So she kills him and goes to New York City where she goes to John's art show. She takes a guy from there to the basement and it finds the puzzle box in a pillar and then uses the box to sacrifice him. And we kind of figure out that the whole building is kind of like a puzzle box uh, mm-hmm. itself, or it's based on the puzzle box. A woman who might be John's mother, I'm not sure, encounters the Cenobites and some weird nightmare carnival. The next day, Angelique shows up at John's workplace and he tells her that he plans to make a laser version of the box, which will permanently, I guess, open the gate to hell. Meanwhile, there's twin security guards making their rounds in the building and they find a door that's not on their map and it leads them to pinhead and angelique pinhead tortures twins then he says he's going after a merchant's son angelique tries to seduce john to try to get to the puzzle box and meanwhile pinhead 
just straight up kidnaps his son. Both want him to give them the power over the gate to hell or something like that. Somehow the wife gets the son back from Pinhead and John returns to the building and the whole building has sort of been turned to hell. Angelique fails, but Pinhead succeeds. Pinhead claims that the puzzle box was just a model. He wants to open a permanent pathway to Earth from hell. Meanwhile, John sticks his son in an elevator and sends it to the lobby to try to get him out of here. Angelique gets to him, then Pinhead somehow gets the upper hand, and John's wife uses the box to send Pinhead home. Okay, that's what happens in the present. Then it jumps ahead to 2027, like... Just a few years from now. A few years from now. <laughs> um, there's a space station, Minos, in orbit around the Earth. And there, John's descendant is creating the Elysium configuration. By the way, Minos automatically should remind you of King Minos and the Minotaur and the Labyrinth, right? A sort of a puzzle. So he's creating the Elysium configuration to do, quote, God's will to rectify his ancestors' work and basically trap the Cenobites and send them, quote, back to the beginning, whatever that means, and back to where they came from. So presumably hell. While Dr. Merchant uses a robot to open the puzzle box gate, soldiers for some reason i have no idea are closing in on the space station and they board it so the opening the puzzle box works but the robot's destroyed and then the soldiers strike and knock him out after the gate has already been opened so one soldier rimmer interrogates dr merchant if this had been the framing device to the flashbacks i think it would have been a better movie and so it actually was in the theatrical version they open with the raid on the space station and then the rest is told as flashbacks i think that's one of the good changes they made so not everything they did was bad anyway rimmer lets merchant out of detainment gives one of the last remaining soldiers the puzzle box as a defense but didn't show him how to use it and he's killed by the twins who have now been merged into one being that's one of the cenobites Oh, Rimmer, okay, yeah. and those were the twin security guards that were killed in the present yep. chapter of the film. Yep. Yeah, that was an interesting yet gruesome scene. Yep. Although I wasn't entirely clear, but somehow they they like fixed them together by drilling them together or something. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, it was weird. Merchant turns the whole space station into a giant puzzle box, and then blows it up with Pinhead and Angelique aboard. Then there's some pointless flashback to the original box's creation, so I have no idea why. But anyway, as I said, reconstructed by Brian Roman. He did a good job, but I think even in the reconstruction, this nine-part YouTube video that you can check out, it's pretty clear that this movie still had problems. You know, even if all those really bad, low-tech 3D models had been replaced with actors and this had been shot the way it had been intended and ordered in the way it had been originally written in the screenplay, I think it still would have had problems. I wasn't a big fan. I'm just, you know, to, to be honest, I mean, like, I think it's great that a fan thought 
enough of the film that they wanted to reconstruct it and make it authentic in the way it should have been. Because, you know, Hollywood and money and all that shit, it just gets in the way of artistic creation. So for that part, I really appreciate that somebody took the time and effort to do it because Lord knows that takes a lot of time. But the animation part, that really threw me off and, and how pieced together it was. I don't know how it came through on your side, but like some scenes were crystal clear and some were really muddled. And then you add that the animation, I thought I was watching The Sims for a second, like the original, like Sims 1. <laughs> and so that kind of threw me off. I was like, wait a minute, what is going on? And then I was like, well, I'm going to have to ask Eric about this because maybe this is where they're filling in the gaps, which you answered that for me earlier in our conversation. So all in all, I'm all about a passion project. So kudos to them for that. But, eh, you know, like I, I could have done without watching it, but still good for them. You know, I'm all about artistic creativity and, and taking something that you love and, and uh, making something of it. Yeah, we have to excuse the fact that the reconstruction is really low tech. I mean, he probably was using some computer program that was made at the time of Sims 1 if he made this in 1996 or something. I don't know. Yeah. I think that if we look at what they were trying to do with this, the original writers and stuff like that, it's actually kind of a cool idea. And mm -hmm. there, one of the things that I keep hearing from people is, oh, uh, with Moonraker, we said this, with Jason X, we said this. There's There are fans that are like, I kind of like it. It's I got a soft spot for it. So I'm thinking that the theatrical cut of this, maybe there are glimmers of how good it could be. Certainly the space scenes are actually pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. And I think what they were trying to go for was like part interview with the vampire, you know, I see that. Which, which was really popular in the early nineties, you know, with the, French historical 18th century part of this and part taking the franchise to space, which we say like, you know, when a franchise jumps the shark, when a franchise jumps the shark, they take it to space. But it may, <laughs> it may be that there was a cool idea here. Like we've done everything we can do with the puzzle box. What if we made this giant puzzle box in space? I don't know. But it has some other themes in it some that are common to a lot of horror films like darkness versus light, life versus death, but also it being Hellraiser series, we get the slavery versus bondage part, sex and adultery. But there's also some really interesting motifs in this, like clocks and time mm -hmm. is a big one. You know, not only is this whole movie unfold in three different time periods, but we see a lot of clocks and time. And of course, the box itself is a clockwork device. Toys and games, of course, figure into it prominently. The puzzle box, again, made by a toy maker. So toys and games. I also noticed mirrors. There are a lot of times where mirrors play some kind of important role in this. Mirrors are used in spirituality, and oftentimes they're viewed as windows or pathways or ways that energy evil good spirits can kind of pass through so i uh, just wanted to touch on that like uh that that could have been why they you know use so many mirrors in the movie it, it makes sense to me um i i don't know weird story way back in the day when i was still married to my ex-husband he was a ghost hunter 
and he belonged to a ghost hunting group and we had the group come over to our house and this one guy was like my ex-husband wanted to have our house checked out to see if it was haunted because he he was the kind of person who no matter where he went he his family had the site quote unquote the site um they were Appalachian he had you know they had the site and so some people some members in his family like sense things they were a little bit psychic um they they would sense spirits that were around things like that um Don my ex-husband always felt like he had something following him and uh so he had our home checked out uh you know by the ghost hunting group and this one guy saw a mirror ball in our like up in the closet you know I hadn't had a chance to like hang it up anywhere or anything and he freaked the f out he freaked out he's like oh no so many mirrors so many pathways and so when you said that i was like wow that's an old memory i haven't even thought about that in probably five years you know about that guy freaking out because we had a mirror ball in the closet so i hope you enjoyed my story time <laughs> <laughs> okay well i mean there was a scene in this movie where a guy looks into a mirror and Angelique's on the other side and drags him through the mirror into hell. There were <laughs> mirrors like just in the background of a lot of scenes. There's a lot of shiny mirror like surfaces. And of course the final puzzle box was created by reflecting lasers through mirrors to create it in space. So <laughs> mirrors figure pretty big into this you know, mirrors in general are in a lot of horror films. So mm -hmm. I thought that was an interesting thing. I, I just, I think there were things under this that the various, you know, the art department before they got fired, you know, the, the uh, cinematography camera department before they got fired that like mm -hmm. had ideas that were good ideas that just got, turned into a muddled mess when budgets were cut and scenes were cut and things were rewritten the scenes shot in space which are really kind of cool the raid on the space station all that i think you can see that underneath it all they started out to make a pretty good film but they just got their budget cut over and over again and creative talent was replaced the cinematographer was replaced the director was replaced the writer was replaced everyone except the actors were replaced at some point in time and you know scenes were cut and stuff was rewritten and tried to shoehorn together i think that this is just the perfect example of studio meddling where they probably should have just said way back in the beginning when they cut the budget, they should probably should have just said, okay, then we can't do it, you know? Right, right. Instead of wasting everybody's time. <laughs> yeah. I kind of would like to see them do this concept again with a real budget and mm -hmm. like make it the way they intended with Clive Barker directing it himself, you know? Mm -hmm. Um I think that that would probably be the best bet, but I don't think we're ever going to get that. So yeah, probably the best to avoid this entirely, unless you're a huge Hellraiser fan. And if you are, then I would recommend checking out this dark world creations, reconstruction work print, which uses 
footage from like you know various different like the special effects work print and even other movies to try to tell the tale the, the way it might have originally been um mm -hmm. to see that there was a vision for this at one time anyway i think that about wraps us up so i want to say if you want to write to us our email is gc8podcast that's letter g letter c number eight podcast at gmail.com until next time, this is Eric. And this is Rosie. Signing off. No wonder the fans remade it. They were like, no, this isn't good enough. We're going to redo this. <laughs>